Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, by whom is this episode brought to our listeners? By whom is this episode brought to our listeners? I can't quite tell what character you're doing right now, but you know what? I love him. Oh, good. He's my favorite thing. When you Uh, figure out who it is, you tell me. Okay, I'll let you know. Uh, This episode is brought to you by Miniflix, the premier streaming site for award-winning short films. Miniflix acquires short films that have uh, premiered at Cannes, Sundance, and... Toronto International Film Festival, and many more, meaning that you can see great short films available nowhere else online. Miniflix also offers several Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning short films unavailable on typical free video platforms. So one of the films available is called Dirty Laundry, directed by Wes Fleming. It's a seven-minute melodrama that tracks the course of a romantic relationship jumping between perspectives. Uh, Shot in a bitterly realistic style reminiscent of Blue Valentine, Dirty Laundry often finds unexpected moments of humor amidst the tragedy. It is an emotional powerhouse. New films are being added every month, and you can watch these incredible award-winning short films anytime, anywhere, on any streaming device for only $3.99 a month. Or, as a Battleship Retention listener, you can get a free 30-day trial of commercial-free award-winning short films just go to the page for this week's movie journal and click on the mini flicks banner at the bottom to redeem the special offer okay let's talk about the movies we watched all right uh, <laughs> you're not excited about it's, it it's fine all right um i watched a movie i've been meaning to watch for a long time i'm trying to think uh, i'm looking up at your shelf to see if you have it uh i watched chris marker's 1983 documentary yeah. sans soleil oh okay soleil. I, have you no, seen that i've not okay um because i thought you had the la jetée because the, the I do not okay because criterion put out la jetée and sans soleil mm-hmm. soleil however you say yeah. it as a one release okay. and i thought you had that for some reason but i guess you don't uh anyway so i watched sans soleil uh don't still know how to say it yeah. it means without sun or sunless is how it's yeah. translated in the movie thumbs down sun that's uh, what they call it yeah <laughs> son get out of here <laughs> Um, uh, it's uh so i say documentary it's the 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 premise is that there's a fictional character who has gone on a world travels a lot of most of mostly in japan but Mm -hmm. uh, all over the place and has written letters back home and you've got a narrator i watched it in english you could also watch it in french but Mm -hmm. you've got a narrator who's at times, I, I think reading the letters ver- verbatim, but mostly she's like telling you about the letters that she read. So you're hearing things like multiple. You're hearing from this narrator who is, you know, recapping letters that are written by a fictional character that Chris Marker mm-hmm. made up and actually were written by Chris Marker. Yeah. As you're seeing all of the supposed footage this guy shot on his travels. Yeah. Um. And uh, it's. It's it's really really lyrical and 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 beautiful and um, the uh, uh, the narration you'll you'll forget what the what the what the conceit is with the narration and then all of a sudden she'll be like and then he wrote in this letter <laughs> like yeah. it's kind of taking back I'm like oh right I'm not just watching images with there's supposed to be kind of a storyline here mm-hmm. um, uh, like I said it's mostly about Japan uh, I think um, it. I do worry a little bit of a little bit of a exoticism of foreign cultures here, you know, um, that, that it's maybe a little too like, 
oh, they're so it's so beautiful the way that they look at life and death differently or their religions or X, Y, or they worship these things. It just seems like it's, um, uh, it, it does seem a little weird in the, uh, I guess in the age of, um, in the post, uh, we have to say this now in the post Anthony Bourdain age, oh, yeah. um, who, um, a lot of, I, I'm not one to judge whether this is, when not this is true, but a lot of the like reactions that I read mm-hmm. uh, after Anthony Bourdain died from people who lived in or were from countries that he visited sure. is that they there was this the general sentiment that he, unlike a lot of you know white or European or Western travel hosts, mm. he didn't go to these places with this sort of. I guess colonial idea of turning around to the viewer and saying, look what I discovered. Sure. Sure. You know, he did like, yes. uh, he, he often like took a back seat to the, yeah. to the locals. Uh, and there's no local voice here. Uh, I don't know if this is just my own, um, hangups here that we're getting in the way of, uh, of this, uh, or not, but it didn't really inst- stop me from truly enjoying the movie because it's quite beautiful. The 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 ruminations are beautiful in the way that it's it's very stream of consciousness. You know, it doesn't like I said, there are multiple travels, but it doesn't go and here's the Japan part and right, here's right. the Cape Verde part and here's like the Iceland part. Like it, they're constantly cycling around and feeding back into one another, and one thing makes them think of the other. So we're like going from africa to scandinavia to you know uh just based on whatever the guy is thinking about as he's writing um and the uh the imagery is is beautiful uh i will i i like to put years of being with my wife have taught me that if there's a movie in which an animal is harmed on Mm. screen that that deserves like a trigger warning or just a warning sure uh yeah there is a part in the africa part where you're seeing someone um hunt and shoot and kill a giraffe that is truly upsetting i'm sure it is really disturbing um and i mean it sounds gross to say like just visually it's weirdly compelling to look i don't want to say beautiful but it is right uh it's it's not the kind of animal you normally see shot, I guess. That's true. And so it is a, it's weirdly compelling, but also horrifying. Uh, I have no doubt. Yes. So, um, yeah, I, overall I, uh, I really liked it and I look forward to checking out more of Chris Marker's stuff. Have you seen Lajete? I've That's, never seen Lajete. It's the only thing I, of his that I've seen and it is uh, marvelous. It's a very unusual film. Yeah. Uh, partially because it's, it's not a moving picture. Right. Um, yeah. So it's still a movie, but the very basics of what movies are, one of them, it is not. Yeah. But it's still, it's still a, a really compelling, that, marvelous film. So it's, it doesn't even do like the Ken Burns, like scanning across no. images thing. It's not just that like, I recall. I think it's just a it's bunch of like, It's like an episode of Pound Puppies. Uh, <laughs> do you remember that when you were a kid? No. You don't remember Pound Puppies? That was I, like I know you what Pound Puppies is. I don't remember the cartoon or so whatever wasn't, you call it. Cartoon isn't even really that word. Okay. Like they were sold on, I don't even know if they aired on TV. They were sold on videotapes. You could buy like along with the Pound Puppy like okay. things or whatever. So it's almost and, like you're watching a picture picture book yeah that's kind of, that's okay. what pound, like you'd have Got voices it. and a narrator or whatever but it was just a series of images one after the other okay um yes logite is like a picture book yeah yeah there you go <laughs> um 
you know, okay. uh, have you ever seen, uh, I wrote about it for the Monday movie a few weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago, Blue, the Derek Charman film? No. It's, it's a feature-length movie. It's literally an hour and a half long. It's just a blue screen and voices. Uh, what do they say? It, they're ruminating about all sorts of things his career career but also it's he he was losing his eyesight as he was dying oh okay and that's what this is about so sometimes it's like people coming into his hospital room and talking to him wow um it's a really really great movie but and and i watched it uh i had we went to the same film school uh, sorry Mm -hmm. where you did your undergrad right right Um, yeah yeah uh, but for one of the classes that everyone took, kind of like you uh, deciding to watch United 93 at the last minute, yeah. I had a teacher who would often just not watch the movie. So there are movies that you saw in film school that everyone in our class or our like grade level or whatever mm-hmm. saw that I didn't see, but then I did weirdly see yeah. stuff like Blue in film school. Who was the, who was the instructor? Uh, I can't remember his name. He had a really weird energy, and he also, at one point, here's the one thing I remember. All right, this will be a funny story. Okay, he was in. A, he was uh, probably still is an experimental filmmaker mm-hmm. um, of his own, and he made a movie that he and he was like telling us about it. He was like, "I want to show you guys the thing I've been working on." He's like, "I'm gonna at one point I'm gonna wait till the end of class to show you to excuse people who don't want to watch this because it's very very sexually graphic." The thing I'm working on, and so what he had done is from thousands of porn. Uh, videos he had made a montage film of just what we call money shots it was just like 20 minutes of ejaculations <laughs> set to music and like some of them would be a different angle like he would have you know to it like t- rotated the angle of the screen 90 degrees or whatever before it was just and it was so weird and the funniest thing so yeah some people did leave um and then, but I stayed and I watched this thing. And the funniest thing, my parents were visiting that weekend. Okay. And luckily they didn't. Okay. But they like were taking, like it was a morning class mm-hmm. and they like, uh, were taking me to lunch afterwards. So I literally watched 20 minutes of dicks coming, walked downstairs and went to lunch with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was the te- I can't remember his name, but that was the teacher who showed us. It's his always blue. weird to talk to your parents with an erection, which I assume <laughs> you had. Um, so okay, <laughs> all right. So my first film uh, is a movie that I watched very much. Uh, I hadn't heard of it. I was babysitting for somebody, and I was uh, basically by myself. So Re- I thought, Let's- recently, yeah. Oh, you babysit? Yeah. Well, That's fun. Just, just the one time, I, I guess I might do it in the more in the future. But a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, uh, is a son, not. I guess he's not that recent of a father anymore. His son is uh, almost ten. Uh, sorry, I know it just but. flies by. No, sorry, he's ten months. He's almost a year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was watching him while he was asleep, uh, while the two of them went out to dinner. And so I was scrolling through their Amazon and a movie caught my eye, which was like a BBC film called, uh, an inspector calls. Okay. And it stars That's David- a great BBC. Oh, name. it's yeah. yeah. It's based on a, on a play, uh, from the 1940s that was apparently very popular uh, at the time. And it stars among others, David Thewlis oh, cool. and Miranda Richardson. And Ken Stott, who, who um, he was in, I know him from, he, he played a, a, an important role in Charlie Wilson's war. And then he played a very important role in the Hobbit films. That's what I know him from. But, uh, but yeah, he's a classically trained, like theater actor, uh, in Britain, a uh, bigger name there. But anyway, uh, the story is it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's based on a play and 
it's this uh, well-to-do family in the uh, uh, early 1900s, I believe, and they get word that an inspector comes comes by. He call, comes calling, uh, played by David Thewlis, and he says, "Hey, a young woman has killed herself, and we are." Uh, making inquiries into you know the various people that might have seen her last or had some kind of contribution to this and so he goes through and you realize that each family member in their own way contributed to this woman feeling such a sense of despair that she uh, kills herself Mm. and so um it's really in many ways the story itself is kind of overwrought um and then there's not so much a twist there's a development that makes this the whole thing feel very dickensian uh in the best way possible um it was written by a guy who clearly who was not afraid to incorporate his uh rather openly socialist ideas into his films uh and right so on. looking at the yeah absolutely uh, the film uh, the the play became very unpopular eventually um <laughs> that's actually true because uh, audiences at the time were just like <laughs> they liked it at the time and then since then they're like boy it's really laying it on thick um <laughs> but uh but it's what i like is that the play is maybe a bit more condemning of you know the 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 upper class uh, family, but the way the film is made and the way the actors play them, we are sympathetic to them as far as it goes. And so uh, there's a lot going on in the film and I don't necessarily want to spoil it, but it's something that I can definitely understand. I think they made it in 2015 and given sort of the, certainly the national conversation, but I'd say the, the uh, worldwide conversation that's been having that's, that we've been having for the last several years about like income inequality and that sort of thing. Uh, I can definitely understand why they chose to make it. Mm. Um, and yeah, the acting is, is great all around just these very classically trained British actors and just David Thewlis being a, a particularly judgmental inspector, um, which feels just right. Uh, and it's always nice to see Miranda Richardson, uh, in something. And so, yeah, I think I'd, I'd recommend it. It's not groundbreaking or anything like that, but it's, 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 uh, delightful. If, if they ever did like a stage revival of it, you know, here in Los Angeles, I'd probably go see it. Cause I think it'd be a really fun play to watch. Um, I looked it up and the director of inspector Call, of an inspector calls is Aisling Walsh mm-hmm. and her next movie after this was Maudie, which came out. Oh, which I heard great things. Um, about. in terms of, uh, what you're saying, their performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Maudie is kind of a, um, it's a very heavy movie. It's not exactly sure. fun to watch, but, uh, it's, um, Ethan Hawke and, and Hawke and Hawkins, oh, Ethan Hawke and Sally Hawkins yeah. together at last, uh, <laughs> terrifically well uh, acted. And I think a very well made movie, but, uh, n- not fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, I'm, st- I'm uh, still excited that you got to babysit my, uh, our friend, uh, Frank feel my wrath McGrath mm-hmm. his kids like three now and I've been saying he's I've been saying like we'll babysit and he's like yeah that'd be great he hasn't come over anytime but I it, like it still hasn't happened Frank's a homebody uh no I think the issue is that he has many many friends who live way closer to him than sure. I do sure. so it would be weird uh you know we'd we'd have to be like the seventh call because, <laughs> got it yeah uh but uh yeah his daughter likes me we were over there 
uh, it's funny. We went, uh, uh, for Frank's birthday, it was that first weekend in July, right after the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. If you remember, that was when it was like 115, 15 degrees. Yes, it was horrible. We recorded an episode during that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a birthday party that day, or he had a birthday party that day. We unlocked it in escape room. It was fun. We went back to his place afterward and it was so fucking hot. Yeah. And the only room in his house that's like really well air conditioned is the, his daughter's room. Sure. So it ended up being like a bunch of us like drinking beers and sitting around like on tiny, like toddler chairs in his daughter's room. And she was loving it because she got to show everybody all sure. her like toys and stuff. And like, yeah, as soon as I walked in, she like looked at me, like threw her hands up, went up because <laughs> uh, she wanted to get picked up. Nice. So yeah, I feel like I'd be a good babysitter. Obviously, right. kids like me. You should uh, tell friend of the show Jason Egan. Yeah, I'm not going all the way to Santa Monica. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to the next thing I watched, which is in theaters this weekend. Um, uh, and let me tell you, no, I'll, I'll save this story for later. Okay. Uh, it's an amazing movie. It's called Black Klansman. It's directed by Spike Lee. It won something at the at Cannes. I don't pay attention okay. to that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I think it's uh, it's his best film in a long time. Um, and I love Chirac, but right. I also understand that Chirac is not for everyone. Yeah, this is like there's this in terms of uh, you know we um, who was it who accused Orson Welles of Wellesian tomfoolery. What was the, who was the oh. critic? We used to always quote that. Was um, it Malton? It might've been Leonard Malton. Yeah. Wellesian so. tomfoolery. Yeah. Um, and I, and I don't mean this as an insult at all because I think Spike Lee is, uh, one of the greatest living directors, but there's a lot of tomfoolery that goes along with, with there's oh, a lot yes. of tricks that you see over and over again in Spike Lee movies. And there's a couple of them in black, black Klansman that, but I feel like this is him making like the most sort of down the middle, uh, movie he's made in a long time. Yeah. Um, maybe since inside man, I guess, uh, although I never sure. saw inside man, but I know that inside man is, um, you know, it's a, Crowd, a crowd pleaser. It's a genre movie. This is so black Klansman is an absolutely furious statement for our moment. It's also a movie that has a lot of questions about our moment and about just, um, uh, the relationship between black people and different institutions Mm. throughout, uh, the, uh, American history. But what I think is really making it such a big hit for people is that it is probably first and foremost, just a really good undercover cop movie. Sure. And a surprisingly funny comedy. That's Uh, definitely the vibe I got. Like when I saw the trailer, first off, like it's based on a true story, but it's so outlandish. Yeah. Well, I'll say in, Spike Lee tomfoolery here. The ti- the oh, the title card doesn't say based on a tra- true story. It says this is based on some for real for real shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is definite tomfoolery. Yeah. There's no question about but it. But sorry, I, I cut you off. But yeah, and and it it did seem like a a heightened uh, type of tone. Um, yeah. That and maybe it's because uh, my. I'll just say acquaintance, uh, Paul Walter Hauser is, is in the film and, yeah. and the way he talked about it was that it was tremendous fun yeah. and everybody was laughing all the time, Yeah, which is just fascinating to think about. And he plays a character. Uh, I mean the, 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 he plays one of the Klansmen, 
the one of the white clansmen. <laughs> um, yeah. One of the actual clansmen. Uh, the premise, if people don't know somehow by this point, is it's based on a true story of in the late 70s, um, a black cop in Colorado Springs over the phone, like, infiltrated the the local KKK chapter, and then he had a white cop pretending to be him when he actually had to meet face and face to face, uh, and uncovered their illegal goings on or whatever. Mm. Um, but anyway, the, the way that the can, the clan is presented in the movies, it, it feels like there's a few main clansmen and they kind of, I think represent different kinds of racism. Sure. So you've got this one guy named Felix who's actually played by a, like a Scandinavian actor, but doing like a, uh, an American accent. Who's like the, just, almost psychotically vitriolic hateful guy yeah. and then you've got uh the actor ryan eggold i don't know if you know uh him um who plays the head of the chapter and he's kind of he's kind of the proto richard spencer type the guy like let's dress this up in like being right. you know presentable and that's you know we'll 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 be civil and yeah. uh not like have swastika tattoo tattoos on our faces ever yeah. and then paul walter hauser hauser's character is just the complete fucking idiot i could i, <laughs> I could see it it's you know it's and he i he's the first one to say this that like he knows how he looks he knows the vibe he gives off on screen he's not playing any like rocket scientists yeah. or anything uh, but he's really funny his yeah. uh, his character's name is ivanhoe which is <laughs> that's just funny um uh but you've got in the lead, you've got uh, John David Washington, uh, who is Denzel Washington's son. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then the, it's almost, I mean, he's the lead in because he, he's the black Klansman, but it's almost a buddy cop movie where Adam Driver as the white Jewish cop who goes undercover. Right. Is they're almost co-leads. Uh, yeah. um, especially at first, especially once the, not at first, but especially once the infiltration gets going, it really does feel like a, a buddy cop type well, of movie. Well, I feel like it would have to. <laughs> like, you you will need... You do need a physical representation. Yeah, he's yeah. He's the one that he's in... Not necessarily more peril, but he's in a fair amount of peril, I would guess. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's still the... Uh, uh, John David Washington uh, is still the lead. He has more more yeah. to do because there's a whole other subplot about because initially he's sent undercover to a um, meeting of the Black Student Union at mm-hmm. the college because they're having a, a real uh, played by Corey Hawkins, but a real life figure Kwame Turi, who is a former Black Panther, mm-hmm. give a speech, and the cops are like, "We want to make sure he's not inciting violence or whatever." So he goes undercover and ends up meeting the head of the black student union. And then there's, so there's kind of a romance there. Okay. Uh, she's played by Laura Harrier. Who's great. She's apparently in Spider-Man homecoming. I didn't see that. Oh, okay. But, um, that's what every, like after the screenings, I heard multiple people be like that girl from Spider-Man homecoming is really good. Hmm. <laughs> um, so I guess that's what she's in. Uh, but, uh, like I said, it's really, really funny, but it also has, I think, uh, it, it definitely, ends on a part that feels like a statement, which is not uncommon for, for Spike Lee, obviously, but also he's like, not with the Klansmen, but with uh, with other aspects, he's Spike Lee is, and the screenplay, which he co-wrote is very willing to be sympathetic to different ideas Mm -hmm. about on the one hand, you've got the conversation about 
the police force itself and is the police force actually a force for good uh which there's definitely an argument for in the movie or is it just protecting the status quo even if that status quo is is racist there's an argument for that in the movie and then you get in the in the the conversations between um ron stallworth is john david washington's character and patrice who's uh laurie harry's character you get the question of okay let's let's take for that's for argument's sake let's say that the police force is an inherently racist institution as it mm-hmm. currently exists can a black cop affect change from the inside or does becoming a black cop does that mean you are giving yourself up to this machine right. and like it's great that all these questions are happening and it's really great that spike lee is um not telling you how to think about about them he's 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 not he doesn't equivocate when it comes to the clan itself mm-hmm. you know what i mean but when it comes to the bigger questions about race in america and um how it fits in our current systems uh he's um really eager to have a lot of different conversations and also in the movie with uh, like to go back to what i was saying about uh, Adam Driver almost being a co-lead. His character's Jewish, mm-hmm. and the movie at times is just as much about sure. the clan, uh, the, the the danger the, po- the clan poses to Jewish Americans as it is about the danger they pose to Black Americans. Um, that said, it's just a really exciting, uh, fun cop movie that uh, is also quite stirring. And um, there's a few bits of. Uh, the Spike Lee there's definitely the, uh, the uh, uh, it's way late in the movie I was like is he not going to do it the shot where oh, yeah. where the characters are clearly standing on like a dolly yeah. as the camera is like moving with them and I was like he's maybe he's not going to do that in this movie no he doesn't don't worry uh, but it's way it's late the last in the movie. act of the film <laughs> the whole last yeah <laughs> um, so yeah uh, Black Clans so here's the story I was going to tell okay um I'm a member of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society, and every week uh, we vote on our Facebook group uh, for a pick of the week, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this week, so Black Klansman is, it's the second best movie of 2018 so far. Okay. The first best, which finally comes out this week, I saw it at Sundance, I've been telling people since how great it is, is uh, Madeline's Madeline, directed sure. by Josephine Decker. We talked about it with uh, Camille Toman uh, mm-hmm. about a month or so ago. Um, and that happens to come out today. So like on the poll on the Facebook group, everyone is voting for black Klansmen. And then I'm like, I got, I, I just one vote for Madeline's Madeline. <laughs> and our friend Aaron, who's also a member of the group did call me out on trying to be cool. But I was like, Hey, it's not my fault that yeah. the two best movies of the year happened to come out on the exact same day. Uh, but it, it did. I do feel self-conscious about it. Like, let's cut them both in half and then say <laughs> that put them together. Yeah. And it's one great movie. Yeah. Uh, All right. What's next for you? Uh, well, I will say actually along these lines, there's a movie that came out I think two years ago called Imperium. Oh right, uh, starring Daniel Radcliffe. And that is Tony Collette. And Tony Collette. Is that yes, who the, that's yeah. correct. That's uh, a good and cast. It's a, it's a very very good movie. Uh, much better than I thought it was going to be. And and it does deal with a, a guy going undercover with not necessarily the Klan, but like various white supremacist groups. And it's it's very similar to this where you see the different factions and how judgmental they are of each other interestingly yeah. enough um oh I've, yeah i've completely forgot to mention that topher grace plays david duke in yeah, this movie yeah uh and he's great i have uh, i have no doubt is he is he smug um he's more like clueless almost sure um yeah yeah i, I could see that um but yeah so uh speaking of movies that do a lot 
okay. I saw Three Identical Strangers. Oh, I saw that. Which you have seen. Yeah. Um, directed by Tim Wardle, um, whose name is fun to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, like so many others, I knew the basic story going in, and I also knew that there was pro- that there was something underneath but I didn't necessarily know what it was going to be and I certainly didn't expect it to be that because it's like something out of a mid-level uh <laughs> 90s thriller uh-huh. you know uh that I and I won't even necessarily say it here but what I like is that so for listeners that don't know there uh, there was a guy in uh, this 19-year-old guy in the in about 1980 uh who Went to college, a uh, community college in in the in New York, the New York area, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, "Hey, how you doing? You're back." He's like, "What? What's going on? I don't know." And then he finally runs across a guy who immediately is like, "Were you adopted?" <laughs> he's like, uh, "Yes, I was." He goes, "Come with me." And so he, so this guy uh, apparently had gone to the same community college as his long lost twin brother and so there was a newspaper story about it and then a third one saw the newspaper story and said well here we go and so <laughs> these three guys found each other when they were 1920 and became really good friends and their story uh, became national news in a, num- uh, in a number of ways but <clears throat> but uh, it actually goes deeper than that and you discover that there's more to their story uh about like how they were split up and that sort of thing than meets the eye and what i like is that the film goes in a lot of different directions like you think it's going to actually do one pivot and it's going to be about this this reveal uh and it's going to be about that but it isn't only about that it then doubles back and becomes more about their relationships and this attitude. And then it talks about the concept of nature versus nurture. It's about all of these things, which normally I feel like it would, that would bother me. But what I, everything about this story is so strange and so unlikely that I'm, I'm kind of willing to go wherever they need me, wherever they want me to go because there is a humor to the story, but there's also a tremendous sadness and yeah. at the core, some very human ideas. And so there's a complexity here that I feel like it deserves to be all encompassing to try to deal with this philosophical issue, but this very factual issue and deal with this tone and this tone and bring it all together because the story is just too messy to sum it up. And I like that the director's, that the director chose not to like trim some of the fat here and there and be like, no, 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 I know what I want to be asking with this film and that's what I'm going to do. He goes where the story leads and, and doesn't necessarily come up with a, an incredibly satisfying conclusion. It's just this very sad, uh, and yet at the same time, vaguely inspiring story. And I think it is done the best possible way. Um, you know, I don't necessarily like one thing that can bother me about certain documentaries is when I feel like they're meandering. Uh, but I feel like when it's for lack of a better term, a human interest story Mm -hmm. that turns out to be so much more interesting than you initially thought, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it trying to, you know, capture everything that it can in two hours. And I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> All right, next up for me is uh, Abos 
Abbas Kiarostami's 1997 Taste of Cherry. Okay. Have you seen this movie? I've not. Uh, I've only seen two of his movies, I believe. Uh, this is only the second one I've seen, because okay. I never saw a certified copy, which I okay. know everyone loves. Did you see Close Up? Um, I didn't see Close Up either. Uh, I've seen Like Someone in Love. Okay. And that was it. Oh, that's it. no, I've seen three. Okay. okay. I saw Like Someone in Love. Um, well... I know you like the movies that you've seen. I'm going to tell you Taste of Cherry is right up your alley. Okay. I also loved it. Um, and now I just realized I said it's right up your alley when I tell you what the story's about, and you're going to uh, take it the wrong way, which is not how I meant it. But the story is, it's a guy driving around, picking up people and talking to them, and then you realize what he's trying to do is he is planning to commit suicide. Okay. He has the sleeping pills. He has dug a hole up on a hill. Okay. And all he and he is trying to convince someone. He's like, to, he's like, I need you to come back to here at six a.m. Make sure I'm dead, and if I am, bury me. I'll already be in the hole. All the dirt's here. The shovel's here. Yeah. Just bury me. And so he's just trying to get people to to do that. Um, and so the movie is basically like three or four long conversations. Oh yeah. Well, that's while driving. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something about Abbas Kiarostami that I think, you know, I like to think that I've seen enough movies that I can pinpoint why something is working, Mm -hmm. but there's something ineffable about how interested he is in the world and in people that seems to come through because he's not, his framing is, I mean, it's spot on, Mm -hmm. but it's not showy. Do you know what I mean? It's always just the perfect right frame. (coughs) And it tends to he tends to linger on shots, because um, uh, apparently it, for most of the movie it's him driving and the character in the passenger seat. For most of the movie, the two whatever two actors weren't actually in, in the car at the same time. He's playing the other person mm. for the opposite shot because a lot of the movie's improvised. Wow. I guess apparently, um, so it's a mixture of. I think his just pure interest and compassion for humanity coming through. And also the lead actor whose name, uh, is Homoyan Irshadi, um, who plays Mr. Badi, the, the guy who's planning on killing himself is just, he just has that kind of countenance and carriage that he, even when he's not talking, mm. you can, you can just watch him, yeah. you know? Uh, and, um, I also think, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of movies made in places like Iran, I think, tend to have a lot of politics just under the surface because uh, one thing about a, it seems about a censorship-happy uh, regime is that a lot of times you only have to cover it up superficially. It's weird. You, you think they'd I mean? be more attuned, but no, it's more just if you, as long as you just don't do these basic things, yeah, yeah. then we're good. Yeah. And so the people he picks up are like, one of them is a soldier. And then one of them is actually, um, an Afghani seminary student who's studying. And then one of them, um, is a taxidermist at the museum. So like, it seems to represent different institutions or different facets of, yeah. of reality. I mean, it's the, the, it specifically talked about the Afghani. It's not just that he's an Afghani studying in Iran. It's that there are a lot of Afghani studying in Iran because they fled conditions there. Yeah. And now they're in Iran and conditions aren't great there either. Yeah. Um, and that's specifically talked about. And so it does, it does seem to be a bit of a survey of, um, uh, of, of these institutions, um, it also has no female speaking parts whatsoever. Hmm. Um, 
unless I'm missing one, but I, I don't think it, I don't think it does. Uh, and it does the, the Kiarostami thing of which he, uh, I say Kiarostami thing. Like I said, this is only the second one I've seen, but one of the things I, um, I remember noticing, uh, in like someone in love is it'll be long conversations where the camera angle stays the same when you would think, well, clearly we should see the other person or you should see the thing they're looking at while they're talking, but it's just focused on one thing at a time. And so the whole opening sequence is him. It's just a shot of him, um, from the passenger seat and he's driving around looking for someone to pick up. And so you're, he's pulling up and you realize, okay, he's pulled up next to someone and you're hearing, them talk or you're hearing their conversation and you're weirdly like learning a ton about like okay this guy's a construction worker and his buddy bought lunch for him and he owes his lunch mm-hmm. owes his, like you're picking up all these things without ever seeing the other person hmm. um I, I i really love it and I, I need obviously need to watch more abbas kiarostami yeah uh close up is uh, amazing certified copy was my was one of my favorite mo- movies of that year close up is one of my favorite movies of all time it's oh, a wow. really fascinating film um, and when you watch it you will I think discover that and and you know it already but like that's the film that I think affirms that he's like maybe the most curious and sympathetic filmmakers <laughs> to ever make movies like yeah. and and just so non-judgmental like he'll judge a person's actions and say like oh that wasn't great uh-huh. but more than anything i think he's curious like okay so what caused them to do that how why would someone ever do such a thing uh and close up is all about that okay um which i believe i own and i think i can lend to you if uh if you're interested uh i got i got no time on my schedule right okay. now okay <laughs> I don't see it up there. Okay, maybe I don't own it then. It goes from the client to closer. No, sorry, closer to clue. Okay, all right. Would close up go before or after closer? Closer. I would. Why can't I do that? I I have every season of the closer as well. There's that. Um, I would probably do it before closer. I think I would too. Yeah. Um, Um, I guess maybe it's it's lent out right now. Um, Um, Sorry about that. But that was referring to Mike Nichols closer as closer is something I started doing as a joke back when the movie came out. Yeah. And now I forget that that's not what the movie's called. <laughs> well, it's also not, you don't have much call to correct yourself at this point. Yeah. Like not a lot of people talk about them. I feel like it was a movie people were talking about a lot when it came out. They were. And not, uh, I don't think it's that great. <laughs> there's a lot. I think there's a lot of good in it. And I think, you know, I think Clive Owen is great. I think Natalie Portman is really good. But isn't yeah. it interesting that, that I don't mean to speak ill of Clive Owen. I don't blame him or anything. But like that movie came out at the height of people are really interested in this uh-huh. Clive Owen guy. He gets his Oscar nomination for it. Uh, and then not unlike the film itself, he just he's still around. But he's just, he's not what he was. Like, he was yeah. a sought-after commodity for a long time. Yeah. For, well, I guess for only for, like, maybe three or four years. But My memory of Closer <laughs> mm-hmm. is that the uh, the screenplay is a little bit showy and proud of itself. Yeah, that's that, definitely true. That yes. was my impression at the time. Yeah. Um, okay, so my last film is John Turtletob's The Meg. Oh yeah, which you saw yesterday. I did, yes, uh, and I was, and I sat next to uh, the aforementioned uh, Aaron Newworth. Okay, and uh, I was all ready to just think that this movie's going to be awful, and in many ways, it is. <laughs> 
but I'm going to trust you know what I mean what I mean when I say and I put this in my in my uh, review and all that if you look at it like jaws or like any kind of horror movie or even a creature feature I think you may you'll roll your eyes at just how predictable it is and all that sort of thing but if you look at it a little bit different if you look at it like an invent, an ensemble adventure movie not unlike the core uh-huh. or timeline or Congo, okay. where David, you are the endangered species. Yeah. Or um, uh, I'm trying to remember what else. There uh, are other. There are other really. Good there, I, there was one I saw. It was called like the Cave. I think. Right. There is what there is a movie called the Cave, but I thought that was a horror movie. But I might be wrong. Um, but yeah, anytime that there's like people that are going that are on some kind of expedition or something like that, and the characters are all archetypes, it's it seems like such a throwback. The Cave is a horror movie in the same sense that that any shark movie would be. Sure. So yeah, sure. This, the Cave is the movie I'm thinking okay. of, um, starring Cole Hauser. Oh, he's Piper Perabo. It does feel like Cole Hauser should have been in this. And movie. Morris Chestnut. I've always been a Morris Chestnut fan. Uh, as I was, as I, uh, anyway, sorry, I cut you off. That's fine. And as, as I was tweeting this out, uh, somebody said that, uh, it reminded them that my description reminded them of Anaconda. I'd say Anaconda fits this as okay, well. Again, yeah. an ensemble of archetypes. You have a pretty good idea of who's going to die. And sometimes you're surprised. You're usually not. Um, and John Turtletop, I think is just, he's a capable enough director to keep things fun. Even if the script is dumb as a brick, uh, which it often is. Um, but yeah, it's a really good ensemble and it's, it's a fun adventure movie that is, uh, that surprised me. And there's a weird little, you know, you, when you see stuff that's, when you see that it's so similar to other things, then you, the differences really present themselves. And there's an interesting theme of like self-sacrifice and also like really trying to remember those that are gone and those that that we've lost Hmm. and so like in movies like this whether they be horror movies or these adventure movies i'm talking about um you know someone will die and then the other characters understandably so they're so focused on survival that they just got to keep moving yeah but even in their down moments they're not feeling really sad about it in this one they do actually allow several several moments to actually like grieve over these characters and that was a surprise yeah. Um, so it's, it's a like, movie I'd say is worthwhile. And I, I wish I could have an example coming to mind, but I've often felt like there's movies where a bunch of people on a team die. And at the end, the people who are left are triumphant and they're like happy. Yeah. And it's like, all your friends are dead. Like, I yeah. know you're, uh, there's probably some relief here. Yeah. You've got your adrenaline pumping. Uh, <laughs> but like all four of those people that were alive at the beginning of this. If anything, anyway. it's like, thank God we're out of danger. Now we can take time to mourn those yeah, we've exactly. lost. No, let's go get some drinks. But so here's <laughs> what I'll say. When I say it's, it's worth seeing, like I can't put enough asterisks and caveats around because you need to approach it in a very specific way. If you did not enjoy Congo like I did or the core or any of these movies that I'm talking about, if you didn't enjoy them for the campy, silly quality of them, then you will not like the Meg. But if you do appreciate that type of thing, I think you'll like it a lot. Okay. I don't think I like the core, uh, personally. Um, I mean, it's, I like the part at the beginning, which is three star movies, you know, the, the very beginning of the movie, which is the reason we got delayed, if you remember, um, because it has a, uh, 
difficult re-entry of a space shuttle. Oh, yeah. And it was when the, the Columbia yes. um, tragically exploded, and so the movie got delayed because yeah. of that. Uh, but I like that sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, Stanley, Stanley Tucci, Tucci is, man, he is going for it. Yeah. He's swinging for the fences. And then there's the dumb one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in a movie, which is Aaron Eckhart describing the world catching on fire by lighting <laughs> a tennis ball on fire. Like in case you need a visual aid yeah. of what the world would look like if it were on fire. It reminds me of a, uh, I believe there's a Simpsons where Kent Brockman is talking about like that, like when Bart is acting like he's been like, he's stuck in a well oh, and right. Kent Brockman is like, he goes, Oh, if we were to try to winch him out, it would snap him like a twig. And then he just snaps a twig <laughs> <laughs> talking about like the possible death of a child. I love it. Um, but yeah, uh, so, all right. So I've got two left. Okay. Um, uh, I watched another movie. So man, this August, this August is great. Like I know okay. August is often thought of as like the doldrums. And that's when you yeah. get in terms of like, studio releases you get stuff like the meg yes you do uh but like i said we got black Klansman and madeline's madeline out this week next week uh we've got um uh minding the gap which is a documentary that i i i think technically i'm still under embargo for but i've said on twitter the movie's fucking great okay uh it's it's my favorite documentary of the year um and then we've got this new movie that i just saw uh, a couple nights ago um called we the animals um and oh my god this movie is so great it's in it's in many ways it's a coming of age story uh it's based on a novel that is apparently um not a memoir but highly autobiographical for the author but it's still you know it's fictionalized uh and it's about three boys growing up in um rural i think new york state um to a very poor uh in a very poor family their mother works at a factory their father is in and out of their lives and in and out of jobs um and he is sometimes a hero to them and is sometimes the guy who beats the crap out of their mom Mm -hmm. um and the youngest boy i don't i don't want to make it about it's not a a it's not a movie about a kid discovering his sexuality, mm-hmm. but the youngest boy who is, who turns 10 at the very beginning of the movie, um, is it's pretty clear that he's different from his brothers, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, uh, but it's not about, it's not about that. It's about him being different. It could have been right. other things, but like I said, the apparently is not the novels autobiographical. Um, uh, but what what really uh, got to me, if you know me and what I like in movies, is the sort of unconventional way that everything folds out, uh, unfolds, mm-hmm. or folds out, I guess sure, is a like new a way to say it. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, in that it's incredibly impressionistic. It's full of just snatches of memories and roving, moving cameras, uh, and the sound design is um, that sort of... Uh, uh, it's almost that ASMR thing of like, right. uh, uh, lots of loud, soft sounds, you know, it feels like memories. It feels mm-hmm. like, um, it feels like snatches of, of, of memories. Uh, and then you've also got, so the boy, the, 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 the youngest boy, um, the character's name is, oh, what is it? Jonah, I think is his name. Um, he likes to draw. And so his drawings, these sort of crude drawings become, animated sometimes to sort of 
I think, uh, illustrate his subconscious. Mm -hmm. And so you see this incredibly, uh, incredibly angelic young boy, um, become increasingly alienated both from his parents and from his two older brothers who were all very close at the beginning. Um, and he's a very sweet and soft-spoken boy, but you see these drawings become more and more terrifyingly violent. Mm. Uh, and um, and yet the movie is not in any way scared of that. I feel like there's something really humanistic about the way the movie embraces uh, the 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 dark places that your mind can go to mm-hmm. um, uh, in a completely different type of movie it kind of weirdly reminded me of an American Werewolf in London like that because American Werewolf in London is also about um, to me it's just it's about how incredibly fucked up your subconscious can be Um, uh, and American Werewolf in London is maybe one of my ten favorite movies of all time just saying that Uh, (laughs) we should have you remake your uh, your top ten yeah definitely Um, definitely because uh, it might have a Canterbury tale on it, who knows, oh, uh, from exciting. last week. And it would d- definitely have American World from London on it. Because well, it's been 10 years, right, since we did? Probably, yeah, about that. No, it would have to be 10 years. Because yeah. we recorded the personal top 10s, I think, at my old, 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 the old apartment on Van Ness. Yeah. Um, or no, technically on Canyon. Canyon, that's Canyon right. and Van Ness, but the address was Canyon. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, We the Animals is incredibly touching um and uh this is a word that i tend to write in reviews not entirely sure how to pronounce uh elegiac elegaic i don't know if that's a hard g or a soft g i feel like you would have to it, because it comes elegiac, from elegy elegy so i feel like elegiac elegiac yeah um let's say lyrical and just leave there it at that uh, lyrical uh, is uh, how you say. Uh, yeah it, and and very very immersive and enveloping and uh and, and heartfelt uh i it's it's also one of the best movies of 2018 so far all right and then finally going way back to speaking of uh, as we do with uh, Abbas Kiarostami, um, world-class directors of whom I've only ever seen one film and decided okay. to watch a second one. Um, the only Tarkovsky I've ever seen is Solaris. Okay. Uh, to the listener who sent me Stalker four years ago, it's still on my to-watch pile. Don't worry. Yeah. I am going to get it. I'm going to get to it. Um, but uh, I didn't watch Stalker. Uh, I watched 1966's Andrei Rublev. Oh, okay. Have you seen this? I haven't. Another one I think you'd really love. It's a... Uh, yeah, I mean, I yeah. love Solaris, and then I saw Ivan's Childhood. I think those are the only two that I've seen. Okay. And I love them both. Um, so Andrei Rublev, or Rublev, I think is closer to how it's pronounced in the movie, but it's spelled Rublev on the uh, English translation title, um, was a... Um, I guess late 14th and mostly early 15th century Russian painter who who, who specialized in painting like religious icons in churches, Mm -hmm. you know, Jesus and Mary and John the Baptist, whatever, all these, you know, know, Christian icons. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and this movie tells, uh, I think it unfolds over, maybe 20 years of his life. Uh, and what's really amazing about it is how much of the movie he's either not in or is not talking during, because like the it's, it's in two acts in the beginning of the second act The so 
one of the nice, one of the fun tricks to me in the movie is that how little of his art we actually see. Um, the end of the first act is him. He's been hired to paint the inside of this cathedral, like murals all over this cathedral. And he's like dragging it on, costing the local government money and like mm-hmm. not getting it done. Um, and then the first time we finally actually see something he's painted is after the intermission or whatever, when we come back and the town is being sacked by invaders and they're like all the, uh, all the townspeople are hiding in the church and then the invaders come in and like start slaughtering and raping people and setting fire to the church. That's the first time we see his art um, is when it's being uh, defiled essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, it's a, uh, an interesting trick to play because I think one of the questions of the movie, and I think probably one of the questions uh, for uh, Tarkovsky um, living in, Soviet Russia um, in contending with this past of Russia as, uh, and I guess technically present of Russia as a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and, yeah. But I mean, that being the dominant religion of the time, and obviously the Soviets, it's not, I don't know. You know more about Soviet Russia than I do, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not exactly the, uh, the, 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 the church of Russia or whatever, you know, right, yeah. like, it, um, and so I think he's, uh, he's struggling with Russia's past here. Uh, and I think there's a question underneath the surface of the entire movie that I won't spoil whether or not it answers. And I don't think the movie actually does clearly answer it. Although I feel that there's an answer, mm-hmm. um, is how much is Andre Rublev actually a believer himself? Which was a very common question. Uh, even before the Soviets took over, uh, like, yeah, the Orthodox church was, essentially the the official church of russia and a lot of people just kind of went through the motions and didn't necessarily believe it um so i took a russian and soviet history Mm -hmm. class and it's it's probably one of the probably the class that i reference of the classes that i you know when i did my undergrad um (laughs) it's probably the one i reference the most and um because it was it was uh, taught by a guy who used to who worked for the embassy uh, in Russia and like spoke Russian. He was uh, he belonged to the Russian Orthodox Church and he was very and he talked about this idea that people would just go through the motions like paying you know tribute to the church and that sort of thing. And then when the Soviets took over, they just kind of were just, like the the true believers. They just kept doing what they were doing, and then everybody else was like. Oh, okay. So now we're paying tribute to this guy over here. Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. That's no, no problem. Do I still get to drink? <laughs> that was actually, <laughs> I'm not making a joke about right. all Russians, but that was a big, that was a big, uh, coping mechanism. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I would say that's probably that idea is like, what do I really believe yeah. just by what I say? I believe. Um, but that's, I mean, I, that's the thing because Andre, as a character says so little, it's an over three hour movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says so little himself. Um, in fact, like after the, the sacking and burning of that church, most of the second act, he is uh, taken essentially a vow of silence mm. and he barely talks. There's only two scenes in the entire second half of the movie where he talks, if I remember correctly, mm. there's like a dream sequence and then spoiler, he does, he does talk again at the okay. end. Um, uh, but, um, as far as the way the movie's made, it's the, it's the same DP, I forget his name now, Vadim something, who shot Solaris. Um, and I think uh, it doesn't... I, I wouldn't say that it has that same sort of 
quote unquote like hashtag slow cinema mm-hmm. approach of Solaris, but it's not exactly you know yeah. uh, I don't know it's not exactly Braveheart either you know what I mean sure. it, it's it's still very deliberately paced and probably of, the to- of its time but it feels very it, 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 again maybe I'm skewed because I watch movies like this all the time but it feels very mainstream like epic in a lot yeah. of ways um, again I could be wrong <laughs> your mileage may vary based on you know uh, how often you watch Braveheart I guess yeah um, uh, not to really slag Braveheart, but not to defend it either, because it's probably been too long for me to have uh, a solid opinion. I watched it recently-ish, like, yeah. I don't know, two, three years ago. and uh, That's close. Yeah, that's recent. It's, sure. it, it, and Mel Gibson, like, <laughs> yeah, there are some things I don't like to necessarily use the, the term hashtag problematic, but I will. Uh-huh. Um There are a couple moments like that in the film, uh, very notably. But damn, he can can put a movie together. It's an incredibly watchable movie. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, Yeah, maybe I'll watch it again uh, someday. Um, After after close-up. I forget. There was another point that I was going to make about Andrew Rublev, and I got us off on this Braveheart thing um, about the style. Oh, okay. And then there's a sequence at the end. Like I said, Andrew Rublev, there's a whole long sequence that, that, that he's barely even in. There's a sequence about making a bell. A, okay. uh, uh, a like a giant bell for a yeah. like church tower. Okay. Um, so essentially, we're what we're seeing in the second half is a a different kind of artist who makes things for churches, yeah. right? Um, and it's this young kid, like teenage kid, whose father died. And he was a bell maker. He's carrying on his father's tradition. Um, and there's a huge section of the movie devoted to the making of this bell. And then the question is like the prince who's paid for the bell donated all the silver for the bell is coming to the unveiling. And, um, if it, it needs to ring. And if the bell doesn't ring, this kid's probably going to get his head cut off. Oh, wow. And the sequence, like I said, it's kind of still, it's kind of a deliberately paced movie. And even this is deliberately paced, but the sequence when they're trying to get the bell to ring is one of the most tense things I've ever experienced <laughs> in a movie yeah. to the point where I was like, I don't know if I just fucking get, tell me if it's going to ring or not. I don't know how much <laughs> more of this I can fucking sit through. <laughs> like I was stressed out. Um, but, uh, man, it's been a great week for movie watching for me. Cause literally I talked about, I'm looking at my letterboxed. Mm-hmm. I talked about five movies. Four of them I gave five stars to. Wow. Black Klansman, Taste of Cherry, We the Animals, and Andre Rublev. Sansuel fa- fell a little bit short. But how many characters in your films are eaten <laughs> by, like, a large animal? Uh, I'm going, oh, how about in We the Animals? Are there any large animals in that? Uh, yeah, I mean, in the, I would say in the animation there's animals that no i guess they don't eat them they tear them apart all right tear well, them in half okay that's not uh that's okay i guess no one gets eaten all by right. an animal well you know you can't win them all